Hey, hi, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm with Steven. What's interesting about Steven is the um, is resilience. Um, it, it, for me, it's just so humbling and uh, interesting. And, you know, like I love hearing about passion. I love hearing about leveraging all of these things that made us such great addicts uh, to transforming into such great people in society. And, you know, like using that passion or that obsessive compulsiveness into great things and, and mostly for him first and then to spread this around and to share this knowledge and this know-how and this passion with other folks that, that are in needs. Um, so it was quite an interesting conversation I had with Steven. Um, quick reminder for you guys to like the podcast, share the podcast, get the podcast known on any platform you guys are listening to, either with iTunes, Google, or whatever, you know, like Spotify. Uh, I encourage you to share it. And uh, without further ado, i letting you discover my good friend, Steven. Have a great listen. Hi, Steven. Hi, Alex. How you doing? I'm better than ever. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So as I do usually with, you know, like all of my guests, you know, like I'm going to ask you to start off with, you know, pretty much your first contact with some substances or, you know, like the first time you've been witness to uh, substance abuse or any anything that can, you know, like kind of hit the ground running on, you know, like let's start this. Okay, sure. So. The first time I I bared witness, I think bared is the right word, I was witness to alcohol was when I was a kid. My my parents drank and alcoholism runs through my family. So I, I first witnessed it as a kid and I think the first time I drank alcohol was when I was really young. My brother Nick and I thought it was hilarious. Every time my father <laughs> would leave the room, we would grab his beer and chug it. And we were we were like, you know, five, six years old. We just thought it was hilarious. So and that was my <laughs> first experience. Your drinking. brother was older or younger than you? He was about he's about two years older than me. Oh, so he was um the influencer. <laughs> it's tough <laughs> to say. I, I would <laughs> I would say so, though. Yeah. Him. And and was it um, was it only your father drinking, or there was there was a lot of alcohol in general in the household? There was a, there was a fair amount of partying generally in the household. And uh, was it happy drinking, sad drinking, violent drinking? You know, like I, I my on my own, it it was. Pretty much the happy drinking, but there was a kind of, you know, like I, I waited so long to be drunk to finally tell you the truth drinking, you know, kind of that. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess you know what I'm talking about, you know, like where, you know, like yeah, I had parents and, and uncles and all that, you know, like they were waiting for that Christmas um, being drunk to finally say something that they had um, kept for, for the year and uh, it ended up in in some not fighting um, uh, physically, but you know, like the verbal fighting and all that. So you know, back to the question, you know, like was it happy drinking at home or or sad or? It was all of the above. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah, there was definitely some happy. There was a there was a dancing school in my home, and I remember after classes sometimes they would celebrate and enjoy a drink together. And I, I can still see smiling faces and hear laughter. And I can also recall some sad times, um, parents fighting, yelling, verbally loud. And seeing my mother sad, my father angry. So it was a mix. Was your mom, uh, did your mom had substance uh, issues as well? Um... 
I don't I don't typically like to speak to their substance use. Okay. Because I, I let I don't know, I just feel like I, I can't really speak to to their experience. For sure, for sure. Coming back to your own experience with, you know, like kind of sipping or, or chugging your, your dad's beer like in hiding, um, can you describe how, how it made you feel even back at, at that time? It was uh, it was exciting, you know, it was like a rush and, and something mischievous. I, I was I got a rush from doing what I, what I wasn't supposed to do from an early age. So it w wasn't necessarily directly the drunkness, but the the act of yeah. doing the thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and and so five six years old, uh, the first years of school are are you know like right at the door. I was school. School, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go. I think I was, I was a preschool dropout, and <laughs> I I cried and begged my mom not to send me. Do you, I was not a fan of school. Do you know why? No. Well, I definitely did not like waking up that early. Uh, beyond that, I definitely was someone who who hated being told what to do. So I can see, I can see now that it conflicted with. One of my core values of freedom and flexibility. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's as much as I can remember from. How was relation with the authority per se? Um, you know, I was a pretty good student most of my life. Meaning, I got, I did my homework. I, I, I did cheat a lot. Actually, I cheated on exams. I would pay people to write my papers, and. As far as authorities act at the institutions, at the, at the academic institutions, I was okay. Outside of there, I, I got arrested quite a bit uh, beginning around, I think, 14 years old. And arrested for like, so the mischief was still following you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once, once drinking became part of my life around 14, it was... It was on, you know, we were, we were off to the races. My friends and I were drinking every weekend, uh, to excess. Was and it, was it a peer pressure thing or, you know, like you, you pretty much had it in you? No, it was, uh, I was all about it. If anything, I, I might've been the one pressuring. Okay. Okay. And so did you, so did did it impacted school in any shape or form? You know, like when, when you kind of, you know, like started off with, you know, like regularly or chronically drinking. Because I guess, you know, like at 14, it's pretty much you know, like special events or, you know, like special days because, you know, like you're just starting by the income, you know, like doesn't, doesn't allow to have like a quote unquote drinking problem, even though, you know, like it is a problem, but, you know, like it's not a, on a daily basis, let's say. Yeah. No, it didn't really impact my my success as a student, at least not until until college when I when I started mixing the drinking and drugs and and masking emotional pain with uh with drinking and drugs. And so speaking of drugs, what were your first contact with it? I began smoking pot uh right after high school right after high school and just loved it. So I, just to rewind uh, about a year before then, I, I went through a breakup with my high school sweetheart and that caused me this emotional pain that I had never really experienced before. It was just very like, just sick to my stomach and I didn't know what to do or who to talk to. And I was too proud really to share it with anyone. So I, I went to my parents' liquor cabinet and chugged vodka. And that became my solution to, to problems, to feeling negative emotions, to numbing them. And then when I, when I discovered pot, I fell in love with it because it helped me to just stop thinking the thoughts that caused the emotional pain. It brings me to two questions. 
What's do, that? Do you know how you you made that uh, kind of uh, equation that you know, like you felt pain and you could numb it with alcohol? Do, do, can you can you find the because it had to you know like that that path had to be traced and somehow. The, Yes, it's such an interesting question, such a great, great question. I often think about that. And while I can't say with 100% certainty, my best guess is that I was conditioned from my environment. Yeah. It, it was it was often that I would hear, you know, oh, God, I need a drink. Oh, God, I need a drink. You know, people would say that around me, and it was just kind of equated to, whoa, okay, so when you have a long day, when something's not going so well, have a drink and, and it will be better. I think subconsciously I absorb that belief. And then my next question is, do you remember um, feeling that, that equation at the outcome you expected from? I, I don't, I just remember like, Oh God, I don't want to feel this way. Like get it off me. And, and I just, It was just like without a moment's hesitation. I just like numbing like, was a great, numbing. you know, like numbing it was pretty much you know, like a great result to that pain. Yeah, that was my temporary. That was my solution. It worked for for the time being. Yeah. I didn't know it would ultimately be self destructive and, and cause me much more pain down the road. But that was the solution that came right to mind. And so you said that in college it started to um, to become not necessarily a problem, but more you know, like you talked about masking uh, the effects. Um, can you can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So looking back on college, I didn't know it at the time, but I was depressed. I was unhappy. I still never really recovered from that breakup because every time the emotions came up, I would just stuff them down or, or numb them. So I never grew through that. And I would often feel that those same types of emotions and do, do what I did. I just kept doing it and kept doing, kept numbing it, kept smoking it, the thoughts out, kept numbing the emotions and no one really knew I was, I was secretly suffering. So were you a social, um, you know, like were you, were you social in your, in your use or, or more of a reclude, um, user? Because you, you said you're hiding it, but you know, like you, you know, like you either head of the party or you're quite recluded. Um, I was, uh, I was actually a mix of both. I could, I could be the life of the party. I could be out there smiling, laughing, having a good time. Uh, on the outside, in, internally, there might be a, a frown or or some feelings of upset going on. You remember that? Yeah, I do. I like remember. like torments, um, like you know, like your stomach and nuts, but having a jolly time for everyone else that would have witnessed you at the time. Yeah, I do. I do remember experiences like that. I remember when I finally would would get home or get into my room, I could let my real facial expression show. Wow. And then did, could, were you able to explain yourself? What was, what was that? Because, you know, like most of, you know, like most of the people would say, you know, like, Hey, Steven, those were the best years of your life, buddy. You know, like what made you so mad or sad or angry or, you know, like depressed? Yeah, I, I was, I don't know. I just was, I was lonely. I had this void inside of me, you know, sh of shame and insecurity and worry, fear and all that shit. And I just didn't, I just hated feeling like that. And I didn't, I didn't really, really pause to reflect. I just was in this vicious cycle. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, the train runs fast on during these years, you know, like it's, uh, I always say that, um, you know, like your 17th and 18th and 19th, um, year of life are, are probably some of the, and you know, like it, 
it's ironic that I say that, you know, just after saying that those are the best years of your life. But those are <laughs> years that are super important, but because adults and, and authority actually looks at you, it's like, so what are you going to do with your life? And you're probably at the worst time to answer that question. You know, it's, you don't even know why you're fucking around. <laughs> you know? no, I, no idea. No yeah. clue. <laughs> and you, you look at folks, you're like, I don't even know why. And you're asking me how or where, you know, like, I don't, you know, like I have a hard time. Those are probably the, you know, like you're asking yourself like the, the life existence questions at that time, you know, like you, you glaze at the sky is like, why am I here and all that shit. And then authority turns around and say, so what are you going to do for every day for the rest of your life? And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Can, I, can I retire now <laughs> exactly can i can we pause here and and so i totally understand why you know like you would just kind of head down and say well let's keep the train running and you know like um if a drink solve it solves it f it you know like i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna just keep drinking yeah that was it never gave i didn't give barely any thought to what i was gonna do with my life what type of career, who I wanted to be. I just, you know. <laughs> so what were you aiming for officially in terms of you, like your, your scholarship and, you know, like the, the studying? Um, I studied business. My, my dream though was always to be on Broadway. So I thought I would be a famous tap dancer. That was, that was my aspirations. So you, so there was an artist behind that, that, that business major or that business studying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow yeah. so you you were already uh, taking lessons for for tap dancing so you yeah so i tap danced my whole life i got to train with some of the best dancers in the world including savion glover and my brother was a musician and, and we we formed a group and we would perform and we began to perform as as i was nearing the end of my college years and we would perform at some really great places like the Manhattan Center in New York City and the, the Apollo Theater. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I was a professional tap dancer for a little bit. <laughs> wow. And so <clears throat> my guess is that this is pretty much like um, those are two completely different worlds that you were juggling with. Yeah, well, college i mean i had no idea what to do i i just saw my grandfather was an entrepreneur and i remember my sister's then husband told me to do business because it was applicable to everything so i was like okay i'll just do business <laughs> that was that was the extent of my analysis yeah and, and i mean you know like those are influences that you know like uh, you like i said you know like you ask yourself so many questions and you're so unsure about every answer that you kind of say out loud that um any of these figurative authority around you um you know like ev everything they say you're gonna just say like hmm, sounds great you know like sounds <laughs> sounds like a great idea um and you're gonna follow along because you're like i, I no kidding. Like I, I work in technology today and, you know, like I, I always tend to say that it's in my blood, right? Um, my father has been with has been in technology forever and it's been in computers when they started um, actually, you know, like taking away uh, accountants uh, from companies to replace them with computers. My father would, was actually the computers. <laughs> so, um, so I've always said that, you know, like it was kind of in my blood. My first year at college was in arts, believe mm -hmm. it or not, you know, like, wow. so, and, and it, it was as weird as me thinking that I was getting there to learn about arts because I, I tend to have kind of an artsy creative mind. And I thought that I was going there to learn about arts and uh, finally realized that people were performing arts, you know, like all of the all of my peers in class were actually either aspiring ta tattoo artists that you know, like I'd been drawing and had been practicing tattoo for years um, when we got in college and and, and it was um, some others were, you know, aquarelle painters and, and, and you know, like 
all kinds of, you know, great artists were around me. And I was getting along great with them. It's just that I was bad at it. Um, mm -hmm. But I thought that I was going there to learn about it. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, the teachers were actually, there, there, were, there were two kinds of teachers there. There were the teachers that were actually telling us that we would be starving our life, you know, like because we're, we wanted to become artists, which had, I think it was their duty to actually, you know, like put us in place and, you know, like and make us realize that, you know, there's not many people that make money out of this. And the other ones were actually the ones that um, were guiding, you know, like prodigies, you know, like they would, they would actually spot the ones that are great at it. But all that saying that, you know, like I was one of those that, you know, like re really was looking at wh where the hell am I going with that? You know, like I, I, I couldn't see myself fake, uh, you know, like take the, the, like the pure science, um, which would have led me to a computer engineer or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, like arts was such a disaster for me because it, it made it made matter even worse. You know, like I, I asked myself so many questions because by by the second session, teacher were actually just asking me what the fuck was I still doing there? You know, like <laughs> so I'm 18. I don't I don't even know myself what I'm gonna do with my life. And and you got teachers actually telling you to stay after class and I remember one just saying, you know, why you stay, why are you still here? You know, like, and I was like, God damn it. You know, like you're not helping me here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was business school. Business school. Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but that that tells there. a lot. <laughs> definitely was there. <laughs> I was high. I was. I would go to class high and study high, and I thought I would get high grades. <laughs> <laughs> did that work? <laughs> Sometimes, believe it or not, it did. But it wasn't. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't anywhere near like a top caliber student by any means. But I. But I made it through. I got my degree. You did. Wow! Congrats. <laughs> and so you. You. Um, so you're. You're first welcome into the quote-unquote life of adults is with a business degree and you need to find work right while in the meantime you probably made decent money tap dancing um not not no actually no okay it was no no not really not as a performer i could teach and make decent money um but i didn't want to teach so actually, right after college, I ended up moving down to Atlantic City, New Jersey, and as and worked as a timeshare salesman, which was which was awful. Those are those are pretty tough grinding and hustling businesses, right? Yeah, yeah. I got I got sold into the position by someone who was friends with my oldest brother. He said I would make all of this money. And I was like, I believed him. I was very naive. And I moved down there and I was, I was so convinced that I told my friends <laughs> and they did the same thing. Um, the one, the one uh, mistake, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise somehow was that I moved in with a drug dealer who then introduced me to some pretty hardcore stuff. Yeah, so my wife would say it's the vampire sitting in the in the blood bank, right? Uh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. Um, so what happened? Um, so that job was terrible. I hated it, and those negative emotions appeared. And I was doing what I would usually do, and then I discovered harder drugs and we were, we were partying really hard, like Coke and ecstasy. And I fell in love with Oxycontins. And the next thing you know, I'm sniffing Oxycontins mixed with Xanax for breakfast. And next thing you know, I'm in just this hellish place where I'm lonely, isolated, depressed, and don't really care if I wake up. And how old are you at that time? Yeah, I was about 20, 25, 
Well, well, it it went from about twenty three to twenty six, so somewhere in there. How was your relation with your brother, father? It's, you know, like because you know, how far were you from home, and you know, what was your family dynamic at the time? I uh, was I was just a couple hours from home. Family dynamic. That's a good question. Man. There was never really much. I don't know. Just just sitting with this question. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I I tend to ask, you know, because usually what I hear is that you know, like it either deteriorates and um, yeah. I mean, you're like I I I I love asking that question because I know that um, I my father was actually pretty much a almost like a guardian angel for me, a guardian angel for me, you know. So it was um always that kind of that uh, voice of reason coming by. I was a few minutes from my father's home and he would drive and come by and just ask me like the worst question a drug addict would want to hear, you know, um, how are you drinking? <laughs> you, know, uh. you know, and just like, but never judge. Just mm. throw those questions out, you know, like, and how much are you drinking right now? And how much are you spending on it? And we had a, we worked together at the time we were, we had shared a business together and you would wow. just throw those questions and, um, it would, it would mess me up. Um, I didn't know, you know, I guess I didn't know when it, when it happened, but, um, it would linger in my stomach and I was like, fuck, you know, like I just lied, you know, <laughs> again. Um, wow. so yeah, so, so that's why I asked those questions because my, my own, kind of my my own experience was um it never it never broke um the communication never broke but i had kind of that voice of reason in my father and uh if it wasn't for him you know like my guess is that i would probably either still be using or or because i you know like he wasn't he wasn't involved in you know me eating red bottom but um he was pretty much the one um Offering me his hand when the when I was there. So, wow, yeah, that's that's amazing to have a guardian angel like that. I didn't. I, it was different with my family. Uh, no one knew really. No one knew what was going on. No one asked me questions like that. I kept a pretty low profile, and no one had any idea how how far into addiction I was. And and I guess that for your brother, the relation you had while um, you know, like um, the on the entertainment front, that had gone for a while now. It was pretty much gone for a while now. Ah, oh, yeah. So what happened? Yeah. So just trying to think back. So after college, there was some time where we didn't perform much because i was i moved away i i ended up quitting that job and moving back home and bartended on weekends so i could tap dance more and we began again though it was it was it was awesome actually we i sent a video unbeknownst to my brother or the other guy that we performed with to america's got talent <laughs> and we ended up getting accepted to be on the show. Wow. And just a few weeks before the, the other musician, his name was Jimmy. He, he had, um, he got sick. So we weren't able to be on the show. And after that, we, our group just kind of fizzled away. I, I went on an audition, made it and performed with the company here in new york city after then for a couple years even in addiction i don't know how i didn't fall off the stage but <laughs> we're, 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 we're 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 a master in disguise right like we're 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 yeah. great and, and you you probably you the same way you did with uh, the people near to you, you the people close to you you know like you you, you seem to have you know like you have had that that um that talent of hiding um so yeah, I mean, um, you're 26. Um, 
pretty much like you're going through the breakfast of champion you mentioned earlier. Uh, what, what happens? So I'm getting closer to, to one of the greatest nights of my life. It start so it started February 2011. I'm at a drug dealer's home. Now I'm, I'm now I'm selling drugs. I'm doing drugs. I have a really expensive habit, about a $200 a day habit. So I have to start funding it. So I started to fund it with with drug sales, and so I was pretty heavy into it. I was just like 130 pound pale skeleton, looked like shit. And I'm at this drug dealer's home, surrounded by other addicts and we're we're anxiously waiting for the next drop off and if it doesn't come in we're all fucked and we're all going to get sick because if you've done opiates to that extent for more than a couple days in a row and you stop you get sick so we're all just in this panic and i just it was as if some higher power just lifted my consciousness and and pointed it at my at me I was like look at you like this is who you become and I was so shocked and it was just such an out-of-body experience that I just was like holy shit like this isn't me this is not who I'm supposed to be and I got the hell out of there I got my money back and I got the hell out of there I went home and I suffered through a terrible painful withdrawal for about four weeks kicked the drugs Yet I still did not think I had a problem. So I kept drinking and I kept trying to fill that void and I kept blacking out and blacking out. And then a December, 2011 comes around and I volunteered to drive all my friends to the bar, sincerely believing that I would not drink that night. We know how it goes with us. I definitely drank and it wasn't long before I was blacked out. And the last thing I remember is punching the gas and just crashing right into a tree, just crinkling, crumpling my vehicle. And I was done. I was done. Car wouldn't move. Cops came, arrested. And the next morning was when I woke up just full of remorse and humiliation and confusion. Like, how did I go from this kid full of life to this hopeless addict and alcoholic 10 years later, just devoid of any motivation to do anything. I just couldn't make sense of any of it. And my brother, Nick sat me down at my grandmother's house where I was living at the time. And he said, Steve, he's like, you got to stop, man. He's like, you got to stop drinking. You got to stop getting high. You just got the smack of God. And you got to make last night the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I felt, I felt chills. I felt relieved. I felt inspired almost at that moment because I was, I was like, Oh yeah. Like I want to do that. I want to make last night the best thing that ever happened to me. And I want to be done with this shit. I'm so tired of it. It was exhausting. And I called up my friend and asked for help. I asked if I could go with him to a 12 step meeting. And of course he welcomed me and I, I went with him and that was the beginning of one of the most miraculous journeys I've ever been on or could even imagine. So, you know, like I have to ask, um, a few things. Um, the first one is, you know, like I, I tend to ask the questions, you know, like when, when were the first seed of that can't be my life? Um, gets planted in your, you know, kind of on your road. Um, is that night where you're waiting for the delivery, that first seed, or you think that, you know, like you, you had waking up in the, you know, like in the past before that, that you wake up and you're just like, this shitty life is not what it should be. Yeah. That's such a good question. I, I do. <clears throat> that was the night where I actually took action on it. I did have those similar thoughts before, for them in a different form. I remember thinking to myself at one point, like, holy shit, it's like I need to take something every single day. I can't not take something. And I just, I wonder, like, I wonder what it would be like if, if I could be sober. I wonder if I could even do that. I, I would have thoughts like that. Yeah. So there were some seeds. Yeah, there were. 
And um, and the next question I got is calling a friend that knows or do the 12 steps. You had to know what it was. Where where did that come from? So it's very divine. One of my best friends entered the rooms of recovery two weeks, two weeks. Can you believe that? Right before I crashed my car. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this was some someone that you 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 had used with yes very okay. much so so you knew about him and his own um journey and so it was pretty much like the first name that came in mind when you wanted um to get help yeah it was uh we w we would run together and we would do drugs we would drink and it was interesting because when i kicked the opiates he was he was inspired by that and he decided to stop about two weeks after i did <laughs> and then he stopped drinking and then i asked him for help two weeks after that wow which i just realized i didn't even realize that until just now in this moment <laughs> and so um how how did it go you know like how, how did you know like what what did you discover there you know like i, I and and again you know like i i, I don't want to fall into um like precisely because I, I i tend to have um my my first few i think my first 10 episode i made a, i i read a paragraph where i'm i myself am am a, a member of narcotics anonymous but you know like in 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 respect and in in Kind of um it, it's pretty much for respect and because it actually saved my life you know like I, i i dissociated myself and i dissociated the podcast from the fraternities uh, even though i'm meeting with you know like like i said you know like myself i'm a member of na um but i i tend to um i tend to make sure that you know like i don't want to fall into you know like i, I don't want to break any anonymity um i don't want to break anything but you know like what was your first experience with the you know the 12-step program so i can respect those intentions i love those my first experience was relief felt at home i uh <laughs> i walked up to my first meeting and there's this tall guy who had definitely had a few cups of coffee and he said, Hey man, how many DUIs you got? And I said, uh, one, <laughs> he's like, that's it. I got five. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're in the right place. Come on in. He was just so like funny and loving and warm and welcoming. And he ended up becoming one of my best friends who I'm inviting to my wedding. <laughs> Um, that, so that was my very first interaction. And I remember hearing shares and sharing myself, honestly, vulnerably, openly for the first time. And it just brought so much relief and so many emotions of gratitude and fear. I was scared. And the more I came around, the better I, I, I began to feel. And I started to string together a few days and I was like, wow, I can't believe it. I just, I couldn't go 10 minutes before. Now I'm a few days. And I, I remember raising my hand at a meeting, maybe my third meeting. And I said, uh, I've, I've been sober this long and maybe 10 years and I, I feel really good. And I want to keep doing this. I just, I need help. Someone please help me to stay on, stay this course. And this, this, this amazing guy came up to me afterward and he told me I needed to, start working the steps with a sponsor. And then I asked him to be my sponsor and he, he agreed. And we began and I learned about myself. I learned who I was. I was new. I learned how to love myself. I learned how to make amends where I had done harm. I learned about connecting with a higher power spirituality, spiritual growth, spiritual principles, honesty, integrity. And 
I started to live as a, as a sober man. And I started to feel that joy again. As like, as a kid, I started to feel excited for life, started to feel joyful. And I developed a sense of faith that I never had before where I just felt like I was exactly where I was supposed to be and everything was going to be okay. And no matter what I would be taken care of if I just kept doing my best to do the next right thing one day at a time. I have to ask you, Stephen, um, what, uh, Stefan, I'm sorry. You know, like I no, don't want to, um, the, the spiritual journey, um, when I, when I, when I, I, one of the episode I talked with, um, Greg and Greg mentioned, you know, like pretty much like his, a bit of a spiritual journey and, um, off record, I explained to him that, you know, like, I think especially in Quebec, we have something called La Révolution Tranquille, which is like something that happened in the 70s and we're the child of that. Or No, even before that. It's in the 70s. I'm actually born in the 70s. But before that, mm. our, our parents in their teens um, pretty much kicked the church out of their bedroom, their political parties um so there was kind of a subtle so revolution tranquille means pretty much like a subtle or tranquil <laughs> revolution you know like a like a, a slow or or you know like non-violent revolution where um our parents kicked the church out like i said you know like out of every everywhere um um it made us the child of that revolution and our own interaction and our own dynamic with spirituality has been biased and influenced by that. Um, I, I, I don't think that, you know, like there are, you know, like many places, not, I'm not, I don't mean that in the sense that we're unique, but I mean that in a sense of something a bit different that we've gone through as the next generation of, you know, like uh, following our parents that did that. Um, I want you to explain to me, you know, like what was your spiritual journey? Um, because, you know, like I know that, you know, like you, you, the, the relation with, um, with religion um, in other regions is different than ours. And I think it's, it's important that we have those discussion because, uh, uh, you know, like uh, um, I, I think that you know there's a there's a, a tad bit more of discomfort because of that what I just explained mm -hmm. um, than other uh, people to which I talk to, uh, ah. and you know like I had to explain that to you because you know like the last time with Greg I told him I I, I talked to him about this off record and. Uh, I realized that, you know, like, um, and it was pretty much me voicing out loud something I was thinking because I felt that discomfort, um, you know, like he, he made a prayer at the end of the interview and I loved it, but I initially it made me, you know, like it, it created discomfort in me and I questioned myself right there, you know, like why, you know, like what, why does it makes that to me? You know, like what, what's, what, where does it, does that originates from? And realize that it was prob probably that, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a kid of that, you know, like I'm a child of my father kicking the church out of his school and, you know, like, uh, and, 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 um, and everywhere. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, like probably way, way too long of a talk of my, of, <laughs> <laughs> of me talking, but, you know, like I have to ask you about you know, like your, your own spiritual journey. So I was brought up uh, in the as a Roman Catholic. I was I didn't really I didn't really know what was going on. To tell you the truth, I was brought to this confirmation class. So I went to it. I hated it. I, you know, I messed around. I didn't really have any sense of of a higher power or belief in in a God. I just kind of followed the motions. You know that was what was expected. That's what everyone did, and so that's what I did and got confirmed never really had any real spiritual strong spiritual beliefs um 
never really prayed, none of that. So it was, uh, my real spiritual journey began in recovery. And, and for me, what that was, uh, it was me begging whatever was out there, some higher power, God, please. I was familiar with Christian terminology. So I, I, I prayed to God and to Jesus for help because I felt the obsession start to happen. And I just prayed, please, please, God, remove this from me. I want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I, I felt peace in that moment of prayer. And ever since then, I was like, I started to believe more and more. And I started to pray more and more and develop a faith in a higher power. I have my own beliefs that are a combination of many different spiritual teachings. And, and it, it, it comes as well with the letting go part. Yeah. 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 And, uh, that was it. And, and uh, the God of my understanding just worked a total miracle in my life after that point. Can you tell me a bit about, you know, like the after, you know, like you, 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 uh, started off um can you can you elaborate more on the after and you know like how you're living your life now yeah so um just just a quick question do you i want to respect the timing of your episodes we're good we're good okay <laughs> yes. so, uh so so after i got sober and i put together a couple months some of my some of my dreams came back and one of my dreams was to become a lawyer That was my plan at, after college, at least. <laughs> um, clearly didn't happen and spiraled downhill. But once I got sober, some of my dreams and, and aspirations came back. And I was still tap dancing, but I, I had this dream to become an attorney and to go to law school. So I left court um, as a defendant and I, and I was inspired to sign up for the law school admission test here in the United States. I studied for about four weeks and applied to Rutgers in New Jersey, but got rejected. So I kept doing what I was doing at the time. I was, I was living a, a good life. I was happy. I was dancing. I was a personal trainer. I was sober and kept on doing that. The next year I was encouraged to apply again. So I applied again and I got in and now here I am this guy who's still pretty fresh into recovery i have to work on weekends i'm, I'm bartending actually in sobriety because it was my main source of income as long as i stayed spiritually fit my sponsor said i was safe so i stuck with it because i had my bills to pay and i had a poor track record in reading and writing courses it really wasn't a strength of mine by any means so i was filled with a lot of fear and limiting beliefs that i I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't read fast enough. I wasn't smart enough. Everyone else was smarter than me. And even though I, I got accepted, I don't know if I could do it. I remember sharing about it at a 12 step meeting and, and just like almost in tears, like, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And the guys were like, just, just take it one day at a time, just one day at a time. And I took it one day at a time. I began listening to inspirational content in the morning. So my, during my commute and I, I just became so determined, Alex, to use all those years, all of those years in college, in high school, even after college, that I just was whacked. I just wanted to use all those years as fuel to now live an awesome life. And I decided to take full advantage of the opportunity that the God of my understanding helped me get. And I just, I just went all in. I had never really given everything, anything, everything I've, I've got ever. So that was a first for me to really put myself out there, to put myself in the arena and to go for it, to not just survive. I wanted to just crush it. I wanted to be the top of the class and I was going to be committed to that. And I got focused and I got disciplined and I began, which was a real breakthrough for me to believe in myself. They say to be great. The first thing to do is to believe you can be great. And I actually believed I could be great with 
conviction and sincerity. And I showed up every day with that same focus, that same determination. I, I put my hand up. I was engaged. I participated. I was present. Even if I sounded stupid and got the answer wrong, I would come back the next day with my hand up. And three years later, I graduated valedictorian of my law school. And I remember the graduation ceremony was so moving for me to hear my name announced as the student with the highest academic average during the entire course of legal study that I just went into my car right after the graduation ceremony and just cried my eyes out with gratitude. I just could not believe what had happened with my life. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I had all these firms in the world, like best firms in the world recruiting me. And I was like, man, if these, if these people only knew what the heck I was doing just a few years ago, they would not be sending me offers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's uh, phenomenal. You know, like the, those are, those are through miracles of, you know, like the, the recovery and, you know, like the, the path to sobriety. So congrats. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was, it was amazing. The story gets a, a little better. A little more interesting, I think, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so after I graduate valedictorian and I get a job, one of the best firms in the world, about a year into practice, I'm miserable. And I'm still sober, but I'm not happy at all. I'm like, shit, I'm pretty sure I hate this because I felt very unfilled and I started to dread going to work. And I would hit the snooze button and sleep to the last minute. I was doing things I didn't, I didn't really do. And I started soul searching and reflecting. And, and one thing that I, recovery really gave me is this ability to be introspective and to be honest with myself. And I was able to be honest enough with myself to admit that I wasn't happy and that to be happy long term, I probably had to transition careers. So I, I began soul searching and over a few years, I kept this list of moments where I felt full of gratitude, love and joy. And I would write down what it was that I had been doing. So I had this list and in the list were moments when I was sponsoring people, when I was mentoring law students, when I was helping a friend get into shape or motivating a friend to go back to school and telling him how much I believed in him. And there was this one-on-one -on -one context that, that I noticed, and it was this awesome clue to my career now, but I, I still couldn't quite put it together. So I prayed, and I searched, and I, and I agonized. And I can't really tell you how or when, but I, at some point, I came across life coaching. And I was so intrigued by it, and I just thought, wow, the ability to transform someone's life through conversation how amazing is that? So I started reading books and <laughs> I started coaching my friends <laughs> right away. I just call them up and say, Hey, I'm going to coach you. <laughs> and, uh, I had this whole plan, you know, I was going to stay at work for a certain amount of years, save up this amount of money. And then I was going to branch off and start my own business. But then I went to a Tony Robbins seminar in California and I got back Within a few months of getting back, I got up out of my office chair and I said, I'm, I'm out of here. And they were dumbfounded. What? How? Why? You're what? But you're making so much money and everyone loves you and you're doing so well. And I said, I know. Um, it's not really about that, though, for me. It's about fulfillment. I've gained so much clarity now on this journey and I've realized what's most important to me and what's most important to me is fulfillment. And I want to use everything I've got to make a meaningful difference in, in people's lives. So I left my job on a Friday and that following Monday I was enrolled full-time at NYU's coaching program. And I completed their two-year program in six months. I became board certified and I read so many books. I went to seminars and intensives and I started my own business. And it was really scary because I had a lot of liabilities and I, and I feared I wouldn't be able to make it economically. But I stayed the course. I practiced the principles of the program. I strengthened my faith. And I, I 
I did one of the greatest pieces of advice I got from the program, which was just ask for help. If you're having trouble, if you're suffering, just ask for help. And so I asked for help. I hired a coach. And once I did that, my business started to take off. And I got to the point where I, I, I got a whole full coaching clientele that I, I had to stop taking on clients. I couldn't even believe it. I've gotten to do events now. I had an event in September and it was, it was called the Live Fully Summit. One of the guys at, toward the end came up to me and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I've got more out of this event than my entire life in therapy. Wow. And I, I just like, what? Are you serious? Like, wow. Like, thank you for your words. They, they just mean so much to me. And my heart is just so full. And I would have never had the courage or awareness to create the life that I'm living now if it weren't for recovery, if it weren't for crashing my car in a complete blackout. <laughs> and make this the best day of your life. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that just such a blessing in disguise? And I have to ask you, how are you doing right now? And so, yeah, like that's pretty much, you know, like my, I, I, I tend to conclude, you know, like on how's life? Life is better than I could have ever imagined it. I, I feel love. I feel joy. I feel gratitude. I feel fulfillment. I feel freedom. I have deep connection. I have strong relationships. I have peace. I have peace. One of the most valuable things that I never knew about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, am, I am happy. I am truly happy. And any last word you would like to people, for people to remember, for people to kind of, uh, you know, like bookmark in, in, you know, like in their, in their brain, um, they would, you'd like to leave? Yeah, I would just, I would leave them with these words that wherever you are, is okay. There's a purpose for all of it. There's a quote that I love and it says, you don't have to worry about the future. You never did and you never will. The future will take care of itself as it always does. Our job is to establish our consciousness and the wonder, value and beauty of the present moment, which will make us happy now and keep us happy then. I would leave with those words and I would also say, That if you're hurting, if you're struggling, ask for help. It's out there and it's available and we love, we love to help. And it's possible for you to recover too and to create a life beyond your wildest imagination. I can't thank you enough. Um, there is, you know, like there, the, you know, every single time someone accepts to talk with me, I am humbled. I am, um, there are really no words for me, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm that dude that between two jobs, actually, you know, like I got let go last December and, um, I had this idea in my, this, this idea in mind of, you know, like starting a podcast and this was kind of, a, a flash, you know, like almost falling from from the sky, you know, like in my mind of, oh, I got it. You know, like I'm going to talk to people, how they turned their life around and made it better. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm nobody, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm unknown. I always am, you know, like surprised and blown away by the fact that, uh, and I jokingly say that, you know, like there are more listeners than I have friends, which indicates <laughs> that, you know, like there's, that first wave of empathy listening from your rel relatives <laughs> and then they are <laughs> they are true listeners to it you know like people that do appreciate and enjoy it but uh but beyond that you know like they are 
the invites that I send out and for people to participate. And you're one of them that I, you know, like I, we don't know each other. You accepted um, in all your generosity and I, I, I have no words, you know, like it, it's just, um, for me, it's just a, a blessing that, you know, like that, 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 that thing I created, um, uh, is giving me back really. So, uh, thank you for your time. I wish you the best. And, uh, it was a really a pleasure to talk to you. Beautiful. Thank An you. Absolute pleasure to talk with you too. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.